Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Kara Swisher. You may know me as the person Donald Trump calls Kara Podcast, but in my spare time, I talk tech here on Recode Decode. Every week since 2015, we've been bringing you candid conversations with the most important people in tech and media. And now we're doing a survey to learn more about you and what you've liked. Your answers will help us plan the future of Recode Decode to better serve you. So please, if you have a few minutes today, take the Recode Decode survey at recode.net slash pod survey. That's recode.net slash pod survey. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who's looking forward to reaching the age where I can call people whippersnappers, but in my <laughs> spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Ashton Applewhite, a writer and activist who's been really important voice speaking out against age discrimination in our society, which is a big problem here in Silicon Valley. And now she's the author of a new book called The Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Ashton, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you. So talk to me, how did you get to this topic? Let's talk a little bit about your background and how you moved to doing this. And I want to understand what the chair rock, this chair rocks. I mean, you're talking about a rocking chair, right? Yeah, I mean, okay. it's, it's a right. spoof okay. on that, really. Yeah, got it. Um, um, so talk a little bit about your background and how you got to be in this area. Well, my, my background has never made any sense. I back into everything. Uh, but I started... I started thinking about this because I was afraid of getting old mm-hmm. about 12 years ago okay. uh, when I was 55. All right. And um, if you had told me then that I would become fascinated by aging, I would have mm-hmm. said, why do I want to spend my time thinking about something so sad and depressing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What happened was I started looking into longevity and realized in about two seconds how much of what I simply assumed it would be like to be really old Mm -hmm. was way off base or not nuanced enough or just flat out wrong. So Mm -hmm. I became obsessed with the question of why so few people know these things. So why did you come scared? What was, I mean, it's societally scary, but... um That's why. You know, I think that, I mean, I I am not a Pollyanna about aging. There are real things to worry about, but they're only two inevitable bad things Mm -hmm. about getting older. 
people you've known all your life are going to die, mm-hmm. and some part of your body is going to fall apart. But not all your body, right? right? And not all your friends. And we never hear the other side of the story. Right. So I was deeply skeptical going in, but all these positive data points, I've started calling them realistic view of aging, not even a positive view of aging, mm-hmm. as, a, as a fact-based counterpoint to the predominant narrative of aging as loss and decline alone. So let's talk about the predominant narrative that mm-hmm. exists now. And then I, I do want to get into Silicon Valley because it's sort of it, the young eats its old here, essentially. But it, it, not just people, but companies and everything else. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what the predominant view is right now and, and why it is that way. Well, the predominant view, I would say, is that uh, aging and by, you know, aging is not just something annoying old mm-hmm. people and parents do. It is a process we embark on the day we're born. Right. But that's somewhere, you know, really young. I mean, in Silicon Valley, you know, guys, skilled white men in their 30s are getting Botoxed mm-hmm. and hair plugged before right, key right. interviews. But we'll get into that. But but to talk about what the, what the narrative is right now. The about. narrative, I think, is just that it is one of, of loss, mm-hmm. whereas if you you know, sit up and look around at the older people around you. Um, I have never met anyone who actually wants to be any younger, mm-hmm. right? Because we know that our years are what make us us. We right. know that age brings us confidence and right. experience, et cetera, et cetera. So let's, you know. I, let's talk, I want to know why the narrative is in place. I, oh, that's what I'm okay. asking. Uh, why, why is the narrative entirely one of decline? Well, Put simply, if aging is framed as a problem, we can be persuaded to buy stuff to fix it or mm-hmm. stop it, air quotes around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if aging, if the natural physical changes and cognitive changes that accompany aging, physical changes are inevitable, cognitive or not, if they're framed as disease, as, as pathologized, then we can be persuaded to buy stuff to fix it or mm-hmm. cure it. And aging is not a disease, otherwise living would be a disease. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, you can't make money off satisfaction. So there's a, you know, a multi-billion dollar anti-aging skincare industry, a, a trillion dollar pharmaceutical industry that says, oh, if you can't remember the name of that movie you saw, you have mild cognitive impairment and you better buy this game or take this drug. And, uh, you know. And where does that come from in our society, the idea? I mean, it's not, you know, Eskimos and ice flows, but where, where does it actually, where does it come from? I think it comes and from. And is it different in other parts of the world? I th- it comes from. Uh, you know, a hyper-capitalist society. No one makes money mm-hmm. off satisfaction. We see that from the body acceptance movement, right? If you look down at your fat stomach and say, I'm good with this, there's a lot of, you know, diet places that don't make money. Um, it also comes from pop culture, from which older people um, are almost completely missing, this, you know, um, fetishization of, you know, the young, the thin, and the blonde. Um, and, of course, we export pop culture and and... Tech, you know, we're dead center in tech, which is also a very, very youthful ethos with this idea that older people, you know, can't use technology, can't learn new things. Not one of those stereotypes is true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you, when you have, when you layer that stuff on, when you're doing this, you know, it is part of culture, but how do you then begin to turn it around? How, you know, you would say you started to do this. So you were scared yourself of this very thing you'd been taught to be scared of. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, I was. And what were your fears? What were your actual fears? Well, I would say uh, probably my my biggest fear was of cognitive decline. Right. Um, can remember stuff. About yeah, CRS. Uh, can't remember shit. Uh, about 20% of the population escapes cognitive decline entirely. We all know some of those really sharp 90-year-olds. Most of the rest of us are going to end up in the middle with some loss of speed and and short that 
that thing in the memory where you can't remember the name of the movie you saw, but that's as far as it goes. It's not that Alzheimer's isn't terrifying. It's not that it's not a big public health uh, issue, but no one talks about the fact that right. Alzheimer's rates are dropping fast, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so the real epidemic is anxiety over memory loss, and these become very damaging, self-fulfilling prophecies. If you can't remember the name of the movie and your thoughts go instantly to, oh, crap, I'm getting Alzheimer's rather than, you know, I, this is annoying, but I'm going to remember that name in five minutes, and it's not a sign mm-hmm. of incipient dementia. We respond very differently, and those stereotypes damage our health and damage our perception, our place in the world. And and it, so it's cognitive decline and then physical decline. The physical decline is inevitable. Some right. part of your body is going to fall apart. But, um, you know, one of one thing tech has brought us is um, they call them age suits. Mm-hmm. You know, you put them on and they—, they um, weight down your feet and you they blur your vision and they alter your balance. Those are deceptive because that not none there is no one to whom all of those things happen. Mm-hmm. Right? They they use those to sell long term care insurance. You better buy up now before all these things happen. Again, it's not that the fears aren't real. Some part of your body is gonna fail you. Mm-hmm. But just about everyone can continue to do the things that matter the most to them or some version of it. You know, if you if your identity hinges on skiing black diamonds, you know, you may have to give that up. If you ski into a tree, you may have to give it up entirely, mm-hmm. but you probably can keep skiing. Mm-hmm. You know, same with sex. You know, if your idea of sex is what it was at 20, especially for men, for obvious reasons, you're going to be disappointed. But, you know, when it changes, and, I, and I'm not saying these changes are easy, mm-hmm. but if you can accept a more whole body, slower, more playful mm-hmm. version of sex, which is typically better sex for women, mm-hmm. then you can continue to have satisfying sex for as long as you want to. So, so, so what got you to write this idea? What, talk about what your manifesto means. What are you, what are you trying to— Talk about the elements of your manifesto. Sure. Um, Well, a manifesto is a call Mm -hmm. for social action because we really need a broad-based grassroots movement. I think the best analogy is the women's movement, Mm -hmm. which was catalyzed by consciousness raising, right? Women came together and realized that what they'd been thinking of as personal problems, you know, Mm -hmm. not getting hired or getting harassed, were widely shared political problems. And that's what we need to do around aging, too, because we're really talking about the place of older people in society compared to the role of women, although right. I do want to point out ageism affects younger people too. Right. Any judgment about people on the basis of age. So we think the way it is now, we think if we can't open the damn bottle or there's no railing or we made the tragic mistake of somehow allowing, you know, wrinkles to develop, that we failed. Mm-hmm. Why should aging be something to fail at, right? Mm -hmm. We need to come together. We need to compare notes. And we need to see that the way aging is socially constructed, which means sort of how how we make up our idea of it, you know, can change and needs to change just the way our view of what women were capable of in society has radically changed in the last 50 years. Radically changed, but still problematic. We have a long way to go. uh, A lot of people say ageism is the last socially acceptable prejudice. Mm -hmm. I used to be one of them. I don't say that anymore because we still have so far to go on so many prejudices. But but this is a new but idea. But it is. It is something people can people can't do fat jokes anymore. They can't do like you have to take it seriously. These kind of things. And you, ageism is something they don't do. They you, people don't do for I, sure. They don't. And we make really super deprecating jokes about ourselves. So mm-hmm. the first most difficult step is to look at our own 
age bias. We are all ageist, I think, and say ageist stuff. You know, I'm young mm-hmm. people forget something, and I'm like, ha-ha. See, they can't remember anything either. Right. But once we start to see bias, mm-hmm. then you start to see it everywhere, and that is really liberating. That's mm-hmm. like a genie coming out of the bottle mm-hmm. because once you start to see it in society, you realize, oh, this is around me. It's built into the world. It's reinforced, and, and we can, again— come together and do something about it. Right. So talk about that. What the, You're saying it's a manifesto against ageism. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a, bi- it's a big topic, obviously. I wrote it, uh, started writing it out here in Oakland, actually, um, at my friend's house and just put on a Post-it or a postcard or an index card, mm-hmm. you know, every smart idea I had come across and tried to organize it. So, you know, there's an introduction that explains how I came to, you know, understand it. Um, the more I thought about it, the more obvious it was that we really, that ageism is built deeply into our social and capitalist system and that it's undoing it is going to require political upheaval. Mm-hmm. No one gives up power without a struggle. I think we see that from the backlash against the Me Too movement, you know, mm-hmm. with the obvious example of the appointment to the Supreme Court of someone mm-hmm. with a record hostile to women's rights. Uh, and, and so I go on to explain, you know, what ageism is right. and how it, how it came to be. And then I talk about ageism in all these different domains, um, in your identity, in your, in your sexuality, in the workforce, in healthcare, how it affects our end-of-life discourse. My favorite chapter is called The Independence Trap. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, when, when I rule the world, I'm going to erase all the times um, de- independence mm-hmm. occurs in this discourse right. because right. no one is ever independent. Right. And we live in a society where it's, um, I think it's especially American, um, you know, that the, the, the lone, you know, the lone cowboy, the, the, the dude who doesn't ask for help ever. We all need help all the way along. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should be able to do so freely and without shame all along the life course. All right. So when you're talking about this idea of manifest, it's, it's, it's shifting. So where do you start the change? Where does it have to begin Bet- when you're doing this? Between our ears. Meaning what? Meaning think about your own attitudes towards age and aging. One of the many um, ideas that, you know, s- seemed totally impossible when I first encountered it mm-hmm. was the idea that older people tend to be the most Worst ages of all. And again, it's not just a young person problem, but we are barraged with this awful anti-aging messages, starting with children's books. Mm-hmm. And unless we stop the question— Give me an example. Um, oh, the, you know, the passive knitting, you know, granny. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a benevolent stereotype is still a stereotype. Or Grandpa Simpson, mm-hmm. you know, the crankety, get-off-my-lawn, crotchety mm-hmm. guy. Oh, he's funny, though. It, listen, it's not there's I mean this, these horrible greeting cards, you yeah. know, they can be funny as shit. Right, right. But discrimination is not funny. Right. And when you buy a greeting card that mocks or denies mm-hmm. your age or tell, you know, say, "Oh, well, you know, of course I can't. I'm too old mm-hmm. to do X or Y." Really good starting point is to think about how you use the words old and young. Mm-hmm. You know, people say all the time, "I, I don't feel old." And they're they're telling the truth. But what they really mean is that they don't feel invisible right. or they don't feel incompetent. Right. And those are things we feel at every point in the life. I mean, I felt, you know, I don't know about you, but my most ugly and least competent, at, you know, in my, in, as an adolescent. Mm-hmm. So decouple the word young from insert good thing, you know, energetic, right. sexy, right. whatever, and old from its opposite. Yeah, and I don't th- know anybody's age. I don't <laughs> ever pay attention to anybody's age, ever. I don't even know how old people are. It's it's. Uh, I was with someone the other day, and they were like, 
Don't you know how old I am? I'm like, no, I don't care. I don't care what your age is. But that makes you unusual. Yes, it is. It, I, I always don't know people's age. They I think mean, I do, but I we, don't. We ask people's age out of habit. I don't want to know how you are. I, know. <laughs> I have no idea. How I mean, it are. functions as a useful shorthand. Right. But one place I get consistent pushback from is journalists because mm-hmm. I say— I make the case that we should leave age out of stories, as mm-hmm. you do, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. And they go, no, 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 it's part of the who, what, when, why, where of journalism. No. Well, race used to be part of that, too. Right. And we took it out for exactly yeah. that reason. And Do you know I have seven birthdays on the Internet? All different. How'd you do that? I just put them up. Oh, that's a good idea. Exactly. I got a good— I'm many well, ages. Uh, well— They're around the same age, but they're eight, many <laughs> that, well, that, that I'm not con- doing it out of uh, out of ego. I no, just but that confusion yes. is great. Just yeah. like confusion around gender, right? You know, confusion you know, around. Know lady, if you they're... don't, if you can't jump to that conclusion that the person who got the cat out of the tree was, you know, forty, or that the person who did that was a straight guy, or whatever, right. though that causes us to interrogate our preconceived notions, absolutely. and that's a better way to be in our yeah. mixy uppy world. Yeah, absolutely. I do know when someone's like eight. <laughs> something like that. Well, children. I, I, do, I, know, I know. Children will age. assure you that they are older yes, than the seven-year-old in the corner. Point. That's a fair point. All right. When we, we're talking with Ashton Applewhite, whose new book is called "This Chair Rocks: The Manifesto Against Ageism." We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge—that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're here with Ashton Applewhite. Her new book is called This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Let's talk about Silicon Valley and the mythology around youth and discovery and youth and tech. You, you, <laughs> you're married to someone who's in tech? And- um, well, we're not married, but right. we've been together a long time. He, right. would, he, he would say he's not in tech, but he was uh, he's a publisher of electronic right. stuff. So, exactly. yes, definitely so his, his t- world. Talk a, lot, a little bit about tech because tech is the one place where they, they sort of fetishize youth. And they, they, they also sure allow people to stay younger longer than they're younger. Like one of the things I always say about Mark Zuckerberg, they're like, oh, he's just a, you know, he wears it. He's just a kid. And I was like, no, he's a parent of two children. He's over 30. He's an adult. Like stop like fetishizing that he's a, yeah. and this whole idea of sort of this Peter Pan mentality of lost boys and everything else. It, it's really very severe in in tech more than other places. I it think. is. Um, and and let's not forget the, the, the evil pairing with sexism as mm-hmm. well. I mean, Zuckerberg famously said, and I am 
dying. To, I'm waiting for the moment when it comes back to bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. You know, young people are just smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, which was honestly— Well, maybe that's what's going on now. Well, I, you know, it was an ignorant thing to say. Yeah. And my guess is, you know, he's obviously a smart guy. My mm-hmm. guess is he might already be wise enough to know that that was a dumb thing to say and yeah. it's going to come now back and bite old. him. I think the interesting, one of the interesting things about, um, one of the interesting things. That was an astonishing quote. (laughs) I remember, I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. You know, right. I mean, it's such blind arrogance, uh, privilege, hello, you know, whiteness, maleness, uh, wealth, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it is. But it's a prevailing attitude. I don't don't think he was, at least he was expressing what already existed. So go ahead, go on. Well, Ageism is the first form of discrimination that many white men encounter. Mm -hmm. So I'm eager for some of those guys to get woke. I remember, and I think when it sort of bubbled forth was an article in Technology Review Mm -hmm. three or four years ago. I don't know if you saw it. And... Uh, which was sort of an expose of sorts. And the quote in it that stuck with me, they were quoting a cosmetic surgeon who does Botox and stuff, and he said he was about to plump up a guy in his 30s who said, I have a key interview and I can't look like I have a wife and a mortgage and two young kids. Mm -hmm. What does it say about our society that looking like you have two young kids and a mortgage disqualifies you for employment? I mean, that's grotesque. Right, right. Why do you think it is in tech that they, because, you know, if you think of tech, you think of uh, of Einstein and he he does not look young. (laughs) Let's just be honest. He (laughs) he was born, when he was 20, he looked 112. 112. That's ageist. We can't say that. that, Of course you do. Yeah, you know what I mean? He (laughs) was looked up as one of the great inventors. A lot of the inventors were were older. Hello, who invented the internet? Right, an older person. You know, and and it's just as ageist. I mean, I have a young friend who goes to a lot of these conferences where they're, you know, in, in around age land, mm-hmm. and he's he's young and he's male. So 50 people ask him if he can fix their computers, you know, right. as he walks through the room. That's ageist and sexist, too, right, because— why, where, How did it stick in tech? Because it wasn't—all the inventors were not— no. We're not apparently young my, looking. My guess, and it is a guess, mm-hmm. is that the rate of change in tech is so great. And mm-hmm. I have to remind people that, you know, if you were a farmer, you had to learn, you know, how to go from using a plow to using a tractor to, to mm-hmm. using the supercomputer that are tractors. There is this idea of a digital divide that I think is pretty bogus, too. You know, having grown up playing video games does not qualify you to be a better coder or more adept in this world. I think you have fast-growing industries where um, where young white and Asian men um, are, are prioritized in the educational system and then tend to hire people who look like them. The phrase is culture fit. It's hard to break out of that bubble, but as we know, uh, everyone suffers when companies are not diverse. You know, if, if this kind of oppression is affecting skilled white men in their 30s imagine the effects further down the food chain. Ageism intersects with sexism. Women in the world work world at large in the U.S. stop being promoted at age 32. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it is compounded, of course, by race and by class, so it becomes increasingly harder to get a job in tech. I remember years ago I was in L.A. and a, a friend of my son's was um, – Snapchat came mm-hmm. up, I guess it was, and I just assumed – totally ageist of me, that because he was a young guy, he knew all about this. And he said, I don't know what Snapchat is. There are families now with siblings where one sibling a few years apart in age from another uses a different set of social media tools. Yeah, that's true. And we olders, it is, I mean, I'm I'm not technophobic, I'm not technophilic, but 
it is, I do think, incumbent. I'm both. Um, yeah, I'm both. I'm skitsy about yeah. it. You know, I had to learn mm-hmm. to be on Twitter, which I have actually come to love. I'm still Instagram. I'm still clumsy. But, you know, if if feeding your family depends on mastering a, you know, supersonic tractor or uh, nuclear fusion, you know, you will learn how to do it. We need to, um, you know, the skills we need. I had to I had to develop a social media presence because I'm self-published. I'm, you know, I don't have affiliations and credentials. So, and it's become fantastically useful to me. We learn what we need to do when older people are forced out of the workplace, and it is worse for women and worse for women of color, then we, they are deprived, you know, access to this stuff and these these critical tools and hello employment and income and the personal and economic you know consequences are right. devastating so talk about that idea that like, you said it's the first place white men get discriminated against talk about that a little bit well think about it uh, if you if you've you know toddled along i mean i think i think maybe mark zuckerberg and his peers really think it's a meritocracy out there mm-hmm. but it is not you know, yeah. obviously, as anyone with a vagina knows, mm-hmm. you know, talk, and, and all this, I mean, ableism, disability, that is a really huge hurdle mm-hmm. to getting a job in the world, you know, anywhere. Um, and no one talks about the intersection between ageism and ableism, mm-hmm. you know. The fact is we know that diverse workplaces work better. We know that diverse companies work better. And to have to say things like, you know, I ask people, what do you think of as criteria for diversity? Mm-hmm. And everyone says, you know, gender and race, blah, blah, blah. Not too many people say age mm-hmm. yet. No, but when I say, how bad age? No one says, that's a dumb idea. Right. You know, or let me get back to you. So I think my kids' generation, they're millennials, the idea of intersectionality, the idea that these forms of oppression intersect and reinforce each other is very close to the surface and that hitching age to the intersectionality sled, if you will, is a much smaller ask than it was to say 60 years ago, you know, a woman could run a huge company as well as a man. Right, but you still see pushback on those things. I mean, one of the things that's interesting is they don't mention mention age in that group. A lot of people have urged me to talk more about the issue. Well, Um, we've got to talk um, about it. And and there's been several books about it. There's a lot of lawsuits recently around age. Um, There's an obvious, uh, you know, there's an obvious bias that happens. You can't pick people any at most of these companies that are very old, like there, there's just not even at the top. There's older people, right? But not old, right? Stuff. And again, it's a new industry too. This is an industry that was, you know, you have the founders running them, and they're not they they were young when they started. Yeah. Um, I, guess I mean, Bill it'll Gates be interesting is, is to see old. how that changes. Yeah, yeah. Bill Gates is super old comparatively. Ancient, ancient comparatively. <laughs> so, how do you, how do you, with these lawsuits and things like that, how do you then change the attitude in tech to to change that? Well, I think. We change it in tech mm-hmm. the way we change it everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I do think that that privileged, you know, straight white men are, you know, they are the most privileged members of society. I'm starting to get pushback mm-hmm. and being called um, sexist and racist for saying right. that. So that's well, side the victims. You know, I I know I'm I know I'm getting somewhere. Um, you know, and it's it been is tough. It's it's tough. It's, it's tough. For it's them. tough to be a guy, but I think. And, it, you know, what an uncomfortable reckoning. And I'm not being snarky at all, you know, to realize, oh, crap, I didn't get where I got on my brains alone. But I think the awareness that, um, you know, there are these intersecting forms of prejudice is closer to the service surface. I think they must have girlfriends or boyfriends, you know, who say, who 
are, are helping to bring that awareness home, that it's in the culture. So mm-hmm. I think it's closer. And there is also, of course, the business case, you know, to be made. I mean, not only are our key industries, I don't think tech is one of them, but where they are going to experience a shortage of good workers as Olders either retire or are forced out of the workplace. And if you have a diverse client base, you want, you know, age is a criterion for diversity. It's not that, you know, old people only sell stuff to old people. And P.S., if you look at the, you know, popular culture, you would think that olders, all we did was take meds and if we're, you know, and go on cruises. Mm -hmm. When, of course, older people do exactly the same things that younger people do, maybe yeah. not the same versions of them. But it, it is sort of insane to say that experience is not a liability. Mm-hmm. And not one of the stereotypes used to justify discrimination against older workers is true. The not creative thing, it's being in the, in the same job for 30 years mm-hmm. that makes you not creative. Do you, you know, one of the things that's thought of is that they, they're making products that are focused on young people. The products are not focused on a wider range of people. I would say the issue there is product design. Mm -hmm. You know, older people like to play games. Mm -hmm. Older people need to figure out the app so they can get in the parking garage. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, I mean, the issue really with with, um, technology is more a class issue Mm -hmm. than an age issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Smartphone uh, adoption graphs to socioeconomic status more than it does to age. So, indeed, it is really important to have things with an interface. I mean, my eyes are not what they used to be. Although, since I had cataract surgery, I'm not wearing glasses for the first time in my life. So it's double-edged. But when you um, zoom in on the Maps app, the name of the street doesn't get bigger. Stuff like that would be really great. And let's back to ableism. You know, there are visually impaired people of all ages. All those, everything we do to make the world a better place to be old in makes it a better place to have a family, to have a disability, to be from somewhere else. Yeah, I think you it's know. thoughtlessness in terms of they. Just, it, it, I think the design, the things that are designed, are designed in a thoughtless way, manner. But you know, what, what are those things in theory that young people need apps for that old people don't? Dating. Guess what? Older people date, too. Mm-hmm. You know, older people want to find well, places, want to look up a restaurant. It's and proximity. If you don't have proximity around you, if you don't have people, meaning you're not near older people, you're not near people of color, you're not near women, your proximity determines a lot of your decision-making. Right. And that's, that's the problem with culture fit, mm-hmm. you know, is the tendency, which is human, to gravitate yes, to, you know, people who look like us. But one of the most, you're back to things that you could do is when you get to a social event, don't make a beeline for people your own age, mm-hmm. you know, because the best, um, the most important component of a good old age is not how healthy you are or how wealthy you are. It's whether you have a robust social network. Mm-hmm. And back to one of the inevitable, the, on, you know, the, the only other inevitable thing, bad thing about aging, people you've known all your life are going to die. It's really important to have you friends to of all ages. You people if you're older. Yeah, you need young mm-hmm. people if you're older. You need older people if you're younger. I think, I mean, one of my... Many plans for uh, in my free time, haha, is to I have a consciousness raising guide mm-hmm. on my um, website called Who Me Ageist, free download, and I want to make one for women. And the name I'm working with um, is You Will Look Like Us. Mm-hmm. to sort of skewer the idea that the most important thing about us is how we look. I don't love that name because it indicates, it suggests that the the knowledge comes from olders down to youngers when, in fact, it's always yeah. a two-way exchange. But if more younger women knew older women who are in their full power, mm-hmm. as so many of us are, mm-hmm. they would be less afraid of aging. 
right, and stop wasting so much time worrying about it. And we older women would rem- be reminded of how hard it is to be 20 and 30 and you be know, more generous. You know, although there's some turn that some women make that they become a badass, which is interesting. You yeah, know, a lot of us. I mean, it's hugely, it's hugely yeah, freeing. Yeah, it's interesting. You can either, you, you, you can be. It's really fascinating. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break now. When we get back, we're going to talk more with Ashton Applewhite. Her book is called The Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Um, I want to talk about— It is this chair. This chair. This chair rocks, sorry. Um, a manifest, manifesto against ageism. When we get back, I want to talk about not dying. We're here with Ashton Applewhite. She is the author of This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. One of the things that Silicon Valley is obsessed with is not dying. Um, <laughs> so there, there's all kinds of people who, as they're getting slightly older, and they're not very old, most of these founders, um, but they're in their 30s, 40s, um, moving into the 50s. And many of them are investing in all kinds of things to not die, to, to deal yeah, with— Good luck with that. Uh, —senescence. There, there, there's all kinds of research into that. There's, you know, there, there's the jokes about the blood boys and things like that. And it seems like there's a lot of investments in this area. There are uh, people— What do you in, think of that? I think we need much, much, much more research into the basic biology of aging. It's right. underfunded, as is almost everything to do with aging, despite mm-hmm. the fact that population is this massive, global, permanent demographic trend. Right. Research into, I don't like to call it longevity science. I call it immortality science because right. exactly as you said, it really is. It's not about living longer. It's about not dying. Not dying, yeah. Um, it's expensive. Or dying slower. I mean, all the people who are investing money in this are we're back to wealthy white men again. Somehow, yeah. coincidentally, how— I'll take that from them, but go ahead. <laughs> it would be fantastic if we could delay aging, if mm-hmm. we could understand more about what does go on with the body. But uh, I think it's delusory. We don't even understand the basic biology of the cell. I also think that the social and political component is essential. Suppose you could live to be forever or live to be 200. Do you want to age in a world that treats you like a second-class citizen? Mm-hmm. I don't. Right. Right. And I mean, if I'm super rich, sure, I can purchase the supports that maybe buy me friends, buy me the illusion of independence, in right. air quotes, right. but it's not going to be available to most of us, and I think it's going to be a very lonely life. Right. And lastly, philosophically— I don't think it's the right approach. We know from Greek myths and literature that tales of endless life do not end well. Right. One of the things I learned um, very early on was about the U-curve of happiness. Oh, explain that. That people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. Mm -hmm. And I was super skeptical. When I learned that. So babies are thrilled? We don't know. Uh, children. Children. And v- people who are much older mm-hmm. because and an ageist idea I started out with was one of the awful things about getting old is clearly that as death gets closer, you must get more apprehensive. That's mm-hmm. not the way it works. Mm-hmm. The knowledge that time is short enables us to live, to appreciate the present more, to right. live in the moment. Kids do it because they don't know how to do anything else, and the very old do it. Fear of death diminishes with age. If you are busy eating, you know, a grapefruit-sized bowls of pills every five minutes so that you don't have to think about dying, you are clearly always preoccupied with moving that ball down the road, unable ever to live in the present, sure. and we know that, that said, that's what— That said, there's enormous amounts of investment, and some of it's fascinating. Well, some and, of it's fascinating. The ideas, there's stuff at the Salk Institute, there's stuff around meditation, there's stuff around all kinds of things. That One of the, one of the people who's doing a lot of investing has explained it to me, there, it's not so much—it's uh, lengthening life if you want and not being sick for the last part of your life. Down and like, with that. But ending the sickness a part of it. Right. That, that I mean, is not inevitable, that you can goal, be very healthy until the day you die. Right. The goal of public health is to extend 
possibly lifespan, but very definitely health span. Health span, yeah, that's right. And that is absolutely a fantastic, which I like. I guess. fantastically yeah. commendable objective. Let's right. learn more about what happens to the body and what we can do to slow, slow, slow the process of aging, but end it. Mm-mm. Right. And one thing that I love pointing out is all the research. Uh, that shows how attitudes to aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. So it's it's not either or, right? Mm-hmm. But but of course, a pill buy this pill and you can live forever is a lot more exciting than you know take these ten pills, meditate for an hour, and exercise for an hour, and you can live you know healthier but not live forever. Of course, people are going to click on you know the live forever button. People with more realistic attitudes towards aging. Not which I used to say more positive, but what it really means is you see the other side of the story. Live longer, seven and a half years longer. They recover more quickly from severe disability. Mm -hmm. They walk faster. The latest study out of Yale, this is blue chip science, and it's all findable on my blog or in the book, is that uh, having a realistic attitude towards aging confers protection against Alzheimer's, even in people with the gene that predisposes them to the disease. And the idea is that these attitudes serve as a buffer against stress and anxiety around aging, which is the result of living in an ageist society. Right. So that's why I'm pushing right. a social movement that challenges that dominant narrative with the science and with the evidence that we all see when we lift up our heads and look right. around us but at the there, older again, people around is, us. You, I, I do see a movement. I think there will be some really significant strides in anti-aging. And I don't mean looking good or Let's replacing. call it pro-aging. Pro-aging. Okay. Pro, you know? Pro-aging. No, seriously. Okay. All right. I'll call it, it. That's not, a fair point. Aging fair is living. Point. Yeah. Aging happens every day. Right. You know, dying is just what happens at the end of all that living. It is a discrete biological yeah. event. You may look at me and think, I'm old as fuck, but you don't think I'm dying. Right. Right? So let's call it a pro— I was thinking neither of those things, but all right. Okay. All right. <laughs> but let's call it a, a pro-aging movement, which mm-hmm. is really about living— as healthily as possible for as long as possible. But I do believe there's going to be some very technological changes, including body parts, including I are, rep- I mean, not I, just Botox, but really serious. I have a plastic cornea. Uh-huh. I love it. If they invented some gunk I could put in my cartilage, I would do it tomorrow. Right. But let's Botox do, looks bad. Let's do Botox. Don't you, know, you think Botox looks bad? I don't love it. I just saw VC with one. I was yeah, like, no. And I yeah. actually said, what's going on with your face? And he was like, oh. what are you talking about? I'm Oop. like, come on. And they know, you know, there there's studies that show that Everyone if, you was can't, pretending. if you can't move your <laughs> Everyone face, was pretending that you don't happening. look happy. You can't look happy, and then it Whatever. makes you it never looks good. <laughs> no, it's, it's good on one person who's it's very not a wealthy. good idea. And again, it's a remedy only right. available but, but, to but, the wealthy. But serious, but serious. There are some serious stuff going on around it's, that length, life lengthening for sure, and health lengthening. I mean, I would say. I would prefer that the discourse be about pro-aging, about health span, rather right. than anti-aging. Right. Because the whole—we are aging. And the whole idea that your age should be a source of shame, that, that if you— Well, I think that's—that will get it out of it, that you get—that you will be living. Not if, if you're one just, person, not if you're just kicking the ball further well, down actually, the road. Well, actually, one person, one VC, was like, I'm aiming to, to try to figure out a way to live 500 years. And I was like, listen, Methuselah, like, good to meet you, but it's, not, it's also, probably not going to— But it was interesting, the concept, because I think what was interesting behind it was, you know, we landed on the moon. We didn't think we'd land on the moon. We think we'd fly. We didn't think we'd fly. Is there ways to 
retard aging, I guess. Slow it? Slow it. I'm 100% down with that. You know, but but end it or see aging as the enemy. Aging is a process we embark on the day we're born. I got it. It's a process, but is there a way to stop it, like to actually or delay it or something? It's just interesting. Slow it. It's interesting. Slow it. But those are very key distinctions. And I mean, and another point is that, you know, for a lot of everyone, I think so far, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe Peter Thiel will slip the news, but Thiel will slip the news. But, um, you know, most of us slow down. And when we hold up as the ideal, this idea that aging well means basically somewhere north of middle age starting to work really hard to not age, to look and act like younger versions of ourselves, to stop the clock, it sets us up to fail. It pits us against each other. It, it fills you with dread because, you know, sooner or later, the umpteenth Botox, you know, you're going to start looking scary or something isn't going to work. It's the, the first time. You know. <laughs> and as long as that is the objective, it's rooted really in self-loathing, in mm-hmm. denial of the fact that we are aging. And to, to slip that noose mm-hmm. and to see, look, this thing is happening and there are things about it I don't like, but it is also a source of growth and power. I mean, for lots of women, late life is the best time of all. Again, not to deny the scary stuff, but to see both sides and to try absolutely to live as healthily as possible for as long as we can, but to acknowledge also that things will change and things will slow, and that is not tragic. So one of the interesting things, though, is that women do live longer than men, Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Quite a bit. Yeah, we don't know why. Why do you think it is? Oh, I think that's an answer for for cell biologists. We, We are sicker. Mm-hmm. And we have less money. Mm-hmm. A possible reason is that I mentioned before the m- most important component of a what we think of as a good old age is a strong social network. Women are better at creating and maintaining those relationships, so that could be why. Mm-hmm. There's lots of reasons. It's an interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon, obviously, that people are studying, which is why they're doing it so much. So, lastly, if the idea, you know, if the, all this money goes into Pro-aging, right? Pro-aging. She rolled her eyes. No, I just went on the record. Because what they're doing is trying to stop aging is what they're trying to do. Um, How do you look at Silicon Valley doing that when you – because, you know, we're talking to Silicon Valley people here or or tech people. How do you – where do you think that comes from, the concept, those concepts? Humanity 101. You know, fear of dying is human. You know, we're, we're all born with it. We're very afraid of dying as kids. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, fear of dying diminishes mm-hmm. in late life, which is interesting to me. So the fact, you know, the Ponce de Leon, the search for eternal youth, you know, the fountain of youth, I think that's an eternal quest. Uh, I'm not surprised that a lot of money is going into it, but I would like people to see it as a both-and proposition rather than let's not think about getting older because it's awful and scary and pretend that's not happening. Let's age as healthily as we can. By all means, let's invest billions into understanding better what happens to the body as it ages. But I would like to have a a longer health span be the goal rather than— So that's what you'd want from Silicon Valley or tech. Absolutely, instead of eternal life. It's -hmm. It's the wrong goal. Yeah, it's also the plot of Twilight. Anyway, Ashton, it was great talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Ashton Applewhite's book is called This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. And thanks to you all for listening. You can also find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Ashton, where can people find you online? Mm Thischairrocks.com. I have a This Chair Rocks Facebook page. I'm at This Chair Rocks on Instagram and Twitter. 
And I just um, launched a resource called oldschool.info, which is a clearinghouse of free, vetted anti-ageism resources. So, and I'm the only Ashton Applewhite in the world. So I'm sure. That's um, a fantastic name, by the way. <laughs> now that you're done with this, go check out our other podcast, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.